Yes, it is. We are in 1 Timothy chapter 2, the backstory, in case you weren't here last week or the week before. This is a book, one of three, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, that Paul writes to um, pastors, two to Timothy, one to Titus, young pastors who are having trouble with churches that are kind of going haywire. And so there's all kinds of doctrine and instruction in this book. It's re there's really a lot here. Um, what's happening is there's some false teachers that have crept into the church teaching doctrine that is not true, and they're getting disciples to go with them. This is a current message today in our world. There's so many false teachings, false teachers that have got huge followings, and they're teaching the craziest stuff. Um, so Tim, Tim, Timothy is the pastor of that church, left in Ephesus. He wants to leave and go be with Paul, and Paul's writing this letter to say, stick it, you know, have stick-to-itiveness and stay with it. You got to stay there and correct the wrong stuff. Um, and so he's been discussing prayer in the weeks before, two weeks we've done this study, some rules for conduct in church, um, men's and women's roles. If you saw the email, I said gender roles, God's view of gender roles. There's another current subject. I might go out for the women's swim team, who knows? But anyway, um, don't get me started on that. So um, so we're going to learn about the roles of women specifically. Let me warn you, ladies, if you're a 21st century liberated woman, you're not going to like the Bible study that much. Don't send me any letters. I'm going to read it right out of the word. And we're going to talk about the fact that Christianity liberates and blesses women more than any other religion in the world. You might be surprised to hear. Um, so we're also going to talk about church government. How should a church be run? Well, whatever you want. No, no, God has specific ideas about that. So those of you that are here, so I know you're awake, say amen. amen. Oh, that was a good one. Those of you online, I see you waving and say amen. The rest of you, I just see your name, but I'm going to assume that you're waving at me. First Timothy chapter two he talks about prayer at the beginning um, and prayer for even kings. And you heard me pray for the president, uh, everybody in authority. Uh, and then there's some doctrinal stuff there. And so he starts talking about uh, men in verse eight. I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. By the way, everything you see him describe here, Paul's writing this because the stuff he's describing is happening at that church. What do you mean? He wants them to pray, lifting up holy hands. Holy hands describes someone that's living a pure life and without anger or disputing. That church has got some clashes going on. You ever been in a church where there's some heads budding going on? Verse nine, I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds. In other words, the good deeds ought to be what you're wearing that make the woman, not the clothes, appropriate for women who profess to worship God. We talked last week about, uh, there it is. We talked last week about the thought that this is talking about you know, you may, some of you ladies, I'm looking around, no, nobody's got braided hair. But if you have braided hair, does this make you a sinner? No. In those days, there was a real social strata and 
two types of people, women, braided their hair and they put jewels and gold and stuff in it. There were two types. Type number one, very wealthy women. It was a status symbol. He's saying, don't do that in church because you're calling attention to yourself. You're flaunting your beauty. You're flaunting your money. Don't do that. The second category of people that did the braided hair with the stuff in it was prostitutes. Don't do that in church. So he's just saying that we ought to remember we're coming to church. He's talking about the church meeting as it meets in those days in houses. It's all about God. It's not about look at me. Um, some women would dress suggestively in order to draw men's attention kind of thing. So dressing modestly, decency, propriety, and don't adorn yourself with pearls and gold and all that stuff. It doesn't make it a sin if you do, but it's just looking to the motive and the attitude and the character that ought to be behind uh, every Christian woman. But good deeds, the good things that you do, uh, who profess to worship God. Verse 11, a woman... This is where it gets complicated. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not, one translation has silence. We're going to get to these words. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet or some have silent. Okay. Now, now you see why I'm expecting tomatoes to be thrown at me by some women. Um, okay, first of all, um, the word for quiet or silence is does not mean that a woman can't make a peep or say anything in church. It does not mean that. Uh, I believe King James has silence. That's an unfortunate translation. The context is church um, leadership, and there. And so the key is not the quiet. The key is, um, let's see, verse 12. Teach or assume authority. To teach in a church where you are teaching, a woman is, men and women, assumes a position of authority. She has authority over her class, just as a third grade teacher would have over her or his class. That's the first thing. Um, the same word silence in 1 Timothy 2, uh, 2 is translated peaceable. In other words, to just be, um, you know, peaceable. Um, let's see. There's a lot of theories about this section. It is a fact that in Judaism, the men did not sit with the women. So if your husband and wife came in, the men would have much closer seats. The women would seat, sit in the court of the women, court of the Gentiles, toward the back. In Judaism, a woman was not allowed to or expected to study the Torah, which is the Old Testament, which is the Bible, the law. Not allowed. Um, say that again. Not allowed and not expected to, both. Yes. Um, <clears throat> and, um, okay, so he wants, um, he is forbidding any speech that usurps the authority of a man. I'm going to get to this in a second, ladies. The fact that there are hundreds of jobs, things that a woman can and should do in the church and in the home. 
okay? Um, in Islam, in Judaism, in that part of the world, in the Roman Empire, <clears throat> in the, with the Greeks, women were considered second-class citizens. Um, property, just like children. So the, what was happening in the Jewish context, the men are sitting up here, the women are way back there, and Jeff's here, and Doreen, his wife, is way back there, and there's a sermon going on, <clears throat> a, a talk given about the the Jewish Old Testament, and Doreen might shout a comment or a question. What does that mean, Jeff? And it's, it's kind of out of order. There has to be order in a society. There has to be order in a family. There has to be order in a church. So that's what we're going to talk about. Um, so let's go back to the text. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. In terms of the authority in a church, we're about to read in chapter three, those that lead the church, episcopos, those that oversee a church, they are to be men. Okay, again, we'll get to it. I'll tell you some of the jobs a woman can do in a church. There are many, some of which a man can't do. Um, so there's, there's submission in terms of the authority in a church. I don't permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. I know that sounds like a blanket statement, but elsewhere in the New Testament, there are women who in the church service are prophesying and they're told to wear a covering on their head. There are clear instructions for women, listen, to teach other women and children. Okay? Men ought not teach women alone. In other words, if some woman says to me, I'd like you to privately tutor me on First Timothy, I would have to say, I can't do that. Not proper for a man to be alone with a woman, especially a married man. I don't know if the woman would be married or not. Doesn't matter. Just not done. I would say, talk to one of these ladies from our church who know the Bible. They can help you. A woman teaches a woman. A woman teaches children. Okay, so let's see. Um, there, there is no situation in which a woman ought to have authority over a man. He's going to get into this. It's going to get even a little more controversial than it already is. Um, she must be silent. And you're already looking at verse 13. I can tell, don't you dare look yet. We're not done with verse 11 and 12, because it gets worse there, I admit. Um, so she, he's forbidding any speech that usurps the authority of a woman, of a, of, of a leader, of a man, sorry. There are some commentaries, not a lot, but there are some that think that some of the false teachers that we talked about last week and the week before, do you remember, might have been either um, women themselves or men that influenced or got women to go along with their false teaching. Um, there's somebody's wife calling right now. Anyway, <laughs> what did he say? Uh, let's see. So um, they are to learn and be teachers. Keep in mind what I just said. In Judaism, women don't get to learn the law at all. There's a handful of prophetesses uh, in the Old Testament, females. There are a handful in the New Testament. Primarily, uh, it's a man. Uh, for leadership. 
So this is a radical departure in that culture and for Judaism that women would be allowed to learn. May I remind you before we go on, who's the first person to see Jesus risen from the dead? A woman, Mary Magdalene. Unheard of that that would be the case, especially because, in a, listen, this is what second-class citizen, second citizens women were. In a court of law, a woman's testimony was not considered um, believable. They weren't allowed to testify. So the first person he, he appears to is Mary Magdalene. That's not good, or is it? If she goes and tells people, and she does, she tells the apostles, and they think it's wives' tales. They don't believe her. But Peter and John, you remember, run to the tomb. When we studied John, we talked about that. Pretty cool. Um, Mary, the Virgin Mary, highly favored, is the one that mothers gives birth to Jesus, the man, right? Astounding honor to have. Are we supposed to pray to her now and worship her? No and no. Make statues to her? No, not biblical. Prayer to God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, not Mary. But highly, highly honored. Um, we already talked about that. Women can even, with, an, with a man present, instruct another a, a man. Priscilla and Aquila do that in the book of Acts. Um, taught Apollos privately, both of them, Priscilla and Aquila, obviously Priscilla is not Elvis's wife, that's a woman, the wife of Aquila. Anyway, um, do I want to go to Genesis 3? No, not yet. We're eventually going to go to Genesis 3 because I want to show you where the whole problem with the genders started. And it's early, third chapter of the whole Bible. I'll show you in Genesis 3 where male chauvinism came from. I'll show you where women's lib came from. All in Genesis 3. If you stay tuned, um, let's see. Ephesians 5 talks about marriage, and basically it says husbands ought to love their wives the same way Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. A woman ought to respect and submit to her husband as unto the same way that she does with the Lord. There are no qualifiers. What do you mean by qualifiers? It doesn't say, women, submit to your husbands if he's a good Christian man, if he's a nice guy. It doesn't say to the men, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, if she's a good Christian lady that submits. There's no qualifiers. Regardless, women do this, men do that. There's an order. It does not imply, listen, any inferiority of any kind. Keep your finger in 1 Timothy and go to Galatians. Take a left from uh, 1 Timothy and go maybe five books, I'm going to guess. Go to Galatians 3, right before uh, Ephesians. Galatians 3. Verse 26. Galatians 3, 26. You are all sons of God. And that's in the general sense of children of God, sons and daughters, you'll see in a second, through faith in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ, have all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Here it comes. Watch the social divisions that our culture puts on peoples 
and watch that he blows them all out of the water. Watch. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Stop right there. You know what that is? Race. I don't care. Black, white, green, yellow, purple, brown. There's no race. At the foot of the cross, it doesn't matter a bit. No Jew or Greek. Greek means Gentile. Okay, next category, social status. Do you see it there? Slave, the poorest, or free, the more wealthy. None of that matters at the foot of the cross. What's the next one, Joe? And this is astounding for that culture, male or female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. At the foot of the cross, there's absolute equality. It's not like men's prayers value are valued more in heaven. Women don't have the inside track. There's none of that. Now I'll go back to second, first Timothy. However, we're all human beings. Look around the rooms. There's men and there's women in this room, right? We're all human beings. We are all equal. However, if you're a policeman, you're a human being. And so am I. And yet, if I'm speeding on Highway 41, that policeman has a right to turn a red light on and make me pull over and submit, right? And arrest me if I don't. Well, why? He's a human being. So are you. Because in role, we're, e we're equal in nature, but in role, he's got a higher role than me. All through school and through college, the teachers were just human beings, but they had authority over me. All the jobs I've had where I had a boss, he's a human being but he had authority over me. Without that hierarchy of authority, there is chaos. And I got news for you. We're headed that way in our culture. Chaos. I'm going to go through a list in a minute uh, of why that's true. So um, back to this, men and women have to have different roles uh, in church. Teaching is a man's job in the general congregation. As I said, women can teach other women. Women can teach children. Um, the only things that God does this with are church and home. That's it. There's nothing in the Bible that says every woman has to submit to every man. No. In the home, the wife submits to the husband. In the church, the women submit to the leadership, the elders, the pastors. The, they're all kind of the same term. We'll get to that chapter three. That's it. There's nothing that says a woman can't be a boss out in the world, have her own company, whatever. But in the church and in the home, God gives instructions. Um, and so here's my analogy. Okay. This is a fictional story. So you don't think I'm as dumber than you already think I am. I have a screwdriver at home. It's got a nice plastic handle on it. It's a Phillips screwdriver. The thing is worthless. You know how I know? Because the other day I was building something. I couldn't find the hammer. So I got the screwdriver and I started trying to hit the nail and I couldn't get anywhere with the stupid thing. It's worthless. And then I was going to paint what I built and I couldn't find a paintbrush. So I got the paint, the, tooth, the um, screwdriver and dipped it in the paint and was trying to paint with it. And it, it was worthless. I threw it away and I broke it from hitting it on the nail. What's wrong with that argument? It wasn't designed for that, right? If screwdrivers, and they don't, came with instructions, I don't think they do. <laughs> Gee, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't say, 
don't hammer a nail with this. Don't try to paint with this. How stupid are you, right? But the point is, who designed it? Somebody that knew what they were doing. A screwdriver does a really good job that a hammer can't do and then a paintbrush can't do, right? Can't turn a screw with a paintbrush, you can try. In the same way, men and women, let's ask the designer, the manufacturer's warranty, the Bible, what are the roles you want, God, for men and women? Regardless of how society changes, and it does, God's word, there's no 2022 version of the Bible that's updated, that all that stuff about women, that's all outdated now. No, it's not. Screwdrivers, paintbrushes, designed, we ought to listen to the designer. No inferiority, we already talked about that. Women can teach other women, they can teach children, they can counsel women and children, they can serve as deaconesses, you might be surprised to learn. There are deaconesses in the New Testament. Um, there are prophetesses, we already said. They can do the secretarial work, they can do music, they can do the media, fundraising, decorating, serving in a thousand other ways. Some of those men can do. Trust me though, don't let the men decorate the church, you'll be sorry. Um, there's five Old Testament prophetesses that are mentioned. The daughters of Philip in the New Testament, Virgin Mary prophesies in the New Testament. In Acts 2, quoting Joel, it says that in the latter days, end times, we might be getting close, in the end times that your young men will dream dreams and your women uh, will prophesy and your daughters will prophesy. No restriction there. First um, Corinthians 11 says a woman it's talking about being in church and a woman that prophesies ought to keep her head covered. So the idea of they have to just shut up and be silent isn't really accurate. I want you to know that. Um, uh, let's see, we already talked about that. Who's the first person that Jesus told, I am the Messiah? John 4. Remember when we studied John? The woman at the well. Oh, well, she was a devout, no, she wasn't. She's a Samaritan, so there's no racism there because Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other. She's a woman living with a dude, and she's had five other husbands. Remember the story? And Jesus condescends, loves women, loves men. He reveals his messiahship to her, rises from the dead, and reveals himself first to uh, Mary Magdalene. Pretty amazing. Let the women, uh, go back to the text here. Um, let's see, further on, we're going to see, let the women learn. That's important. Like I said, in Judaism, no way would that happen. Why do they need to learn? Well, if they're going to teach other women and they're going to teach the children and they're going to witness to people when they're at work or at school or wherever they are, they got to know what they believe and why they believe it, right? So it's wonderful. How else will they be blessed or know how to live obediently if they can't study God's word? Since the 1960s, here comes my list. You ready? Say amen. 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 <laughs> Notice hardly any women said amen. Citizens in the 19, before the 1960s used to respect 
the police used to respect government. Students respected teachers more. Women and men had different relationships than they've had since the 1960s. Children and parents, it was a whole different ballgame than it is now. Let's face it. Does anybody disagree with that? Um, okay. Employees ex uh, respected and were submissive to their, obedient to their employers. Um, the police, now we've got defund the police. Christians acted differently toward the elders of the church, the, the pastors and those that lead in terms of authority. All of those things, folks, are bad. None of them are good. We're heading toward anarchy, chaos, right? If there's no authority, if there's no rules. Some are supposed to lead. Now, if I haven't offended you yet, let's see if I can do so with verse 13. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And, verse 14, Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Yikes. Right? Okay. Let's go to, um, well, let's talk about, we don't need to go there yet. Genesis 3, God says to Adam and Eve, he makes, remember, he makes Adam out of the dust of the earth. Adam names all the animals. There's no good companion. And I'm sure there were no golden retrievers or there might have never been women. But anyway, he decides to put Adam to sleep. First anesthesia in the Bible takes a rib from Adam and from the rib makes Eve. Remember, and Adam is over the moon thrilled flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. She's like me. I don't want a chicken for a companion. This is awesome. She's beautiful. They're naked and they're not ashamed. Do you remember? God takes a rib out of Adam's side, not part of his head skull so she could rule over him, not part of his foot so he could trample her, but from his side, close to his heart, where he could they could help each other. They could be companions. The woman is supposed to be the help meet King James helper of the man. Okay. It's a beautiful story. God gives them not 10, not five, not two, one commandment. Do you remember? You can eat of anything in this garden, except that one tree, the knowledge of good and evil, that tree, don't eat it. The day you eat it, you will surely die. Remember? Genesis 3, Satan shows up, and we're going to talk more about that later. I'm going to skip that whole dialogue, but basically, he gets Eve alone, okay? Adam's not there. Who did Adam, who did God tell this rule about don't eat the tree? Adam. Did Adam tell Eve? Yes, no question, okay? We'll see that in Genesis 3. Satan gets Eve alone and appeals to stuff that humans all want and need. In fact, let's turn to Genesis 3 now. Easy book of the Bible to find, as you know. Genesis 3, it's right after table of contents in my Bible. Genesis 3, verse 1, then serpent, that's the devil, more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord made. He said to the woman, did God really say, okay, 
That's what people have been doing for 2,000 years, questioning, oh, you believe the Bible? You know, it's been changed. You know, men wrote the Bible. You know, it's a bunch of myths and legends. You know, it was borrowed from all these other books. Did God really say? Okay, notice how he misquotes God now. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? God never said that. She corrects him. The woman said to the serpent, I can't be talking to you. My husband's not here. Get lost. And I don't like snakes. Eh, wrong. We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it. Who's misquoting God now? Eve. Did God say you must not touch it? No. She's kind of paraphrasing God's word. Or you will die. Lie number two from Satan. Lie number one is, did God really say? You think you can trust that book thousands of years old? Are you crazy? Lie number two, you will surely not die. That's a lie. Because they die spiritually. They eventually die physically. Had they not eaten the fruit, had they told Satan to get lost, they would have lived forever. And so would their children, which have been you and me. I intend to really have a long talk with Adam and Eve when I get to heaven about how much they screwed up. However, I'll bet if it was Joe and Sherry instead of Adam and Eve, guess what? I would have screwed up too. You will surely not die, the servant said for the, to the woman. God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. God doesn't have your best interest in mind. He's holding you back from Godhood. He's hogging it for himself. He hates you. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, that's a lust of the flesh. Pleasing to the eye, that's a lust of the eye. And for desirable for gaining wisdom, that's the lust of the flesh. She took some and ate it. She was deceived, tricked, fooled. You with me so far? Paul sounds like he's blaming Eve for everything. He's not. I can show you in Romans and in many other books by Paul. Guess who gets the blame for the fall of mankind? Adam. You say, wait, Adam hasn't even been mentioned. He wasn't even there. But Adam was not deceived. She was deceived. She, the, the devil fooled her. And she ate. When the woman saw that it was good, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. So if he was there the whole time, he did not protect and lead in that family. It's on him. We are in this sinful world because of one man, the Bible says, Romans, all over the place, it says it, Adam. He should have said, don't talk to the devil. Get, let's go, honey. The man was not deceived. He understood the command and went, well, she did it. I guess I'll go along. Bad leadership. Who's leading? She is. Things are out of whack. She's hitting a nail with a screwdriver. She's hitting a nail with a paintbrush. Not the way they were designed. Man, they, Adam was supposed to have dominion 
over the earth, not Eve. Okay, um, let's go back. Well, verse seven, and then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. People have been covering up sin for the last many thousand years. Go back to first Timothy. No women have left the Bible study so far. So I'm still waiting for that. But anyway, let's see on zoom. Yeah, we still have a fair amount of people. All right. So now go back to the text. Adam was formed first. He goes first to the order of creation. It's true. He was not by a lot of time, but he is a little older than Eve. He was formed first. Adam, verse 14, was not the one deceived. You say, wait, they were both deceived. No, this says it. Adam wasn't deceived. He knew. You ever notice that you can get talked into stuff and get fooled and get deceived and then sin and go, oh, no, what have I done? And then there's other times that you sin when you go, this is wrong, but I'm going to do it just this once. No one's looking. Everybody else is doing it. Don't do it. Adam's not deceived. He knew and did not lead. He's giving this as an example of something Adam should have done, and he didn't do it. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Okay, so I'm looking at my notes. Before we move on here, uh, Romans 5, uh, 12, through one man, sin entered the world. That's Adam. Never blames Eve. He's just saying this here in terms of the order of um, creation and God's what God wants in terms of leadership in a family. Um, so, yeah, we already talked about that. So Adam fails in his responsibility. Verse 15, if you think it can't get any more confusing, welcome to verse 15. But women will be saved through childbearing or childbirth if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Let's just skip that verse and move on, shall we? What's going on here? I thought you're saved through faith alone in Christ alone. Isn't that what the Bible says over and over and over? Yes. Okay. Does this mean that you got to have a child, ladies, to be saved? No. Not talking about salvation. The word for saved can be brought through, can, be, can mean rescued. There's all kinds of meanings for that word. Let me give you... Um, a couple theories on this, okay, on this verse, and then I'll tell you what I think it means based on what I've studied. Um, first of all, we're all equal at the cross. We already looked at Galatians 3.28, remember? No, no male or female, Jew or Gentile, rich or poor. Some have said this verse means that women that are Christians will never die in childbirth. But there's been Christian women that have died in childbirth. There's also been pagan women, unbelieving women, that have given birth to 11 children just fine. See you later. It can't mean that. What's going on here? Okay. Uh, a clue is found in the history books, which talk about a saying that they said in Ephesus. Okay. Um, and there was Artemis of the Ephesians, also called Diana. She was a mythical, listen, goddess. And they would chant, great 
is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Is this a real person? No, it's a mythical goddess. She was regarded as, listen, the savior of women, specifically in childbirth. So he is discounting and destroying that whole belief by sort of making fun of it, okay? In fact, what he's about to say is that Jesus Christ is the only way to get saved. In fact, he's already said it. Women will be saved through childbearing. Okay, what's going on here? The bearing of a child. I'll give you one more theory, popular one. Then I'll tell you what I think it all means. It's a fact that the rabbis before Christ write about this. Every Jewish woman understood there's a coming Messiah someday. And they all wanted to be the one God chose to bear the Messiah. It ends up being a teen, young teenage girl named Mary from a poor family. Do you remember? She gets the call, right? You're the one I've chosen. But every woman wanted to bear the Messiah. So through childbearing, not the individual women bearing children, but through the birth that can only happen from a woman, contrary to what you're reading on the news, men can't have babies. Read my lips. Sorry. They just can't, right? What's your point, Paul? What's your point, Joe? There are some jobs God wants men to do. Be the leader of a church. Be the leader of the family. Be the one that earns the, the, the breadwinner in the family. Okay? Be the disciplinarian if that needs to happen. However, here's a job that only a woman could do. He's saying, ladies, you'll be brought through childbirth because you're the only one that can do it. Men can't do that. And you don't hear men going, that's not fair. I watched two childbirths. I'm good with the women handling that. I'll coach. Um, Sherry's labor with Allison, our first child, 38 hours. She's watching right now going, don't tell him that. 38 hours. I'm convinced if it was me, I would have given up after six. Forget 38. We're talking pushing and just... Whew, very tough. Second child, very quick though. Anyway, uh, women will be brought through, saved through childbearing because the Messiah is going to come through a child. If we went back to Genesis 3 right now, I could show you that's what it says. Your seed and his, the devil's seed and the seed of the woman, okay? You say, wait, seed of the woman. You're talking like seed, like sperm. Yes. Okay, that's biologically wrong. The man has the sperm, the woman has the seed. True, unless it's a virgin birth. Got to come from somewhere. Anyway, we digress. Um, women will be saved through childbearing, not salvation, but they are to be the one in charge of that institution we call the home in terms of not the overarching 
um, authority, that's a man. But the raising of children in most families, I know there's exceptions, you know, Mr. Mom and all, uh, all that. Generally, the man goes off to work. The kids are with the mom, right? Most of the time. That's a huge responsibility. He's saying all the more important that you continue, ladies, in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. So it's a tough verse. It's always on everybody's lists of the most uh, hard to understand verses. Um, yeah, all those positive qualities are expected from women. Um, do we want to do that? Let's go back to Genesis 3. I promised you I would do this, and then we'll take our break. Are you still awake? Say amen. Yes. Good one. Genesis 3. I promised you I would show you male chauvinism, the, the root of it, and women's lib. An imbalance in the relationship between men and women, all in Genesis 3. So they sin, God shows up, gives punishment to, well, they, they pass the buck. God, in verse 14, gives punishment to the devil, the serpent. You see it there. Cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You'll crawl in your belly and, you'll, belly and you'll eat dust all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman. Which woman? You mean Eve? He means the woman. Listen, that bears the Messiah. How do you know that? Between your offspring and hers. Satan's offspring, all unbelievers, and ultimately the Antichrist. And, and even you could throw in Judas, and her offspring. You say, well, a lot of women have had offspring. Okay, the word there in Hebrew is, and her seed. Remember, we just talked about that? There's only one woman that ever had a virgin birth. That's Mary. And his, her seed is Jesus. He, the Messiah, the seed of the woman, will crush your head, Satan, by dying on the cross. Satan's a defeated foe, and you will strike his heel, a much less serious punishment. To the woman, they're going to have pain in childbirth. Sorry, ladies. With pain, you'll give birth to children. Here it comes. You ready? You're, I'm still in verse 16. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Okay. I don't have time to take the Hebrew apart, but let me read you that verse, what it really means. Your desire will be for your husband's role. You're going to naturally want to take charge in the family. Let me say from the outset, there are some women married to some men, and the men are so passive, wimpy, quiet, and not leadership quality that the woman feels like, well, if I don't do it, it won't get done, right? There's that, those kind of men that don't you know, lead as they should. Your desire will be for your husband's role. That's women's lib. That goes against God's will for a family. It goes against God's will for a church. Okay. So there's women's lib. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. The way that's said in Hebrew, it's more than just, and he'll be the head of the family. That's the male chauvinist. That's the wife beating. That's the harsh male that barks out orders. The Ralph Cramden, if you ever watched The Honeymooners, um, funny show, but pretty crazy marriage. There's the 
root of all the problems in every single marriage. Somebody wants somebody else's role. Somebody's ruling too harshly. Okay, let's take our two-minute break, and I've counted the people, so I'll know if any of you women leave. We'll be back in two minutes. Don't go away. I'm going to turn off my screen and hit pause here. I'll be right back. Don't go away. See you in two minutes. Oops. All right. We are back on Tuesday night. Find your seats, those of you that are here. And so far, uh, only a few women have left. So that's good. Just kidding. Okay. So chapter three uh, is mostly about not all, but mostly about church leadership, church government, answering the question, who can, who can lead? Just anybody? Can you just volunteer? I want to lead this church. Are there qualifications? Absolutely. Um, so he's given uh, already all kinds of instructions for how men ought to act, how women ought to act. Now he's going to go to church leadership. It's thought, by the way, not by every commentator, but by a lot of them, that the false teachers might have crept in as leaders, elders, pastors. Uh, we're going to go through those terms. Bishops. And convince some people. So we're going to look at the qualifications for elders bishops, overseers, pastors, those words are all interchangeably, interchangeably used in the New Testament. Deacons and deaconesses will we'll define what they are, who they are, and what they do. Um, by the way, in Acts 20, this church already had elders in place. It was Paul's practice, plant a church, teach some people, get to know people, and realize this guy's a leader, and so is he would you two be willing to? Yes, good. As the church grows, add some other guys. What God forbids is a one-man show. I'm in charge and none of you are. What I say goes. There's a recipe for disaster. I don't care how holy the, the leader guy is. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. You ever heard of that? There's no one he's to be, I'm not accountable to anybody. I can do whatever I want in my church. Recipe for disaster. Money's going to disappear. Stuff is going to go on that's going to make your hair curl. Okay, back to 1 Timothy 3. Here, verse 1, is a trustworthy saying. He says this, I think, five times in this book or in the pastoral epistles. That's another way of saying, listen up, this is really important. This is something we all ought to agree on. Whoever aspires to be an overseer, episkopos, desires a noble task. What's an overseer? Just what it sounds like, someone who oversees, who leads a church, okay? Um, I notice that it doesn't say whoever desires to be the singular overseer, desires to be an overseer, one of more than one, one of many. It's a noble job. What he's saying is that it's honorable. It's a good thing to want to do. So find guys that are honorable and noble. Um, so it can't be just any man. What you're going to see here is talent 
is secondary. Surprisingly, almost everything he's going to talk about now has to do with the person's character, not, well, how many PhDs do they have? It's very little of that. I'll show you as we go. There's all kinds of characteristics. When it's the, the word we use is um, elders, meaning that they're mature in the faith. I'm going to show you, you know, doesn't necessarily mean an old man, but it shouldn't be a really, really young guy or an, you're going to see one of the qualifications it shouldn't be a new convert. He became a Christian four weeks ago. He's on fire for the Lord. We're going to make him a leader of the church. Yeah, you better wait really get to know these people. Um, presbyteros, elder. Pastor, poimen in uh, Greek, it means shepherd. Bishop is episkopos, uh, which also means overseer. Those terms in, elsewhere in the Bible, they're interchangeable, all of them. It just means the guy that leads the church. If you were raised as I was as a Catholic, there's priest, there's pastor, and then there's the bishop, which is in control of a bunch of churches. That's their way of putting it. I'm telling you, in the Bible, a bishop is the guy that heads up a church with other bishops. It doesn't mean a chess piece, or um, it doesn't mean a bunch of churches that he's got Northern California as his territory. That's not really biblical. Okay, verse two. So what sort of people should head up churches? How about good-looking people? Not in there. Popular people. Look at one woman went, yeah, that's good. Uh, popular people. How about people with good education? How about rich people who give a lot to the church? We really need to keep Harry and his wife here. Let's make him a leader. Listen to the characteristics. It's a noble task. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife. Literally, that's a one-woman man. Um, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Let's take those apart a little bit, shall we? Okay. First of all, necessarily being a good talker doesn't make you, that's not in this list. Um, let's see. We already talked about giving. Yeah. Keep in mind as we read these characteristics, true confessions here, I happen to be, since July of last year, an elder at this church. I read this list and shudder because <laughs> I, I don't get an A-plus in any of these things, okay? No one does. He's not looking for the perfect man because if that was the case, there would only be one elder, which is Jesus, right? Everybody else, we're all sinners. Okay, blameless or above reproach. One last thing before we dive in, I meant to say. If you're listening and you're a woman and you're tuning out because, well, got to be a man, that's not for me. Every one of these qualities, ladies, every one of these qualities, gentlemen, that if you're not an elder, are valuable qualities to have. You'll see as we go through the list. What's the first one? One translation has blameless, another has above reproach. Okay, now blameless sounds like sinless. The idea of the Greek word is this. There's nothing that when you mention Ken's name, oh, everybody goes, oh, the bank robber. Oh, the rapist guy. Yeah, I've heard of him. Oh, the, 
the guy that, you know, the drunk, the town drunk. There's nothing obvious about, sorry, Ken. There's nothing about his character that makes you go, oh, that the distinguishing characteristic of so-and-so, not Ken, Harold, we'll call him, is this huge thing, right? He beats his wife. Other than that, he's a nice guy. That's not what it means. It, it, it really means that one, th nothing to take hold of. That's what it literally means in Greek. Um, because people, both in the church, that would make a bad leader. Outside the church, they'd go, what a bunch of hypocrites. You know that, Pastor? Do you know what he does? The drug addict guy, the whatever, car thief, you know, he ripped me off. And nothing to really take hold of, no obvious flaw in his conduct or character. Okay, doesn't mean he's perfect, no obvious flaw, blameless above reproach. The husband of one wife, as I told you, it means literally a one woman man. Okay, so that rules out a couple things right away. Did you notice what they were? It rules out all single men, right? Catholics, you have to be unmarried to head up a church. What? Hello, do they have the same Bible? Yes. Does they have this? Yes, they have this verse. One of the qualifications, number two on the big list, a one woman man. Okay. So that rules out single men. What else does it rule out? Polygamists, Mormons. I got four wives, love them all. You're out, okay? What else does it rule out? A playboy, an adulterer, a flirt. Who else does it rule out? Women, a one woman man, husband of one wife. Contrary to what you see in culture today, a woman can't be a husband. Sorry. Okay, so I'm going to get letters, I know. Um, well, what about if the guy's wife died and he eventually remarried? Nothing precluding that, I don't think. There are really strict people that think, no, that guy's out. He's not a one-woman man. He was married to so-and-so. She passed away a few years, 10 years went by. He married this other lady. He's not a one-woman man. I don't see it that way. You may, whatever. Okay. What if the man is divorced? Now we're getting into dicey territory because there are biblical divorces and there are, he was cheating on his wife, got that lady pregnant. So he divorced her, divorced her and he married him. It's all good now. He confessed it. That might be above reproach might come into play there. Like that's a thing, right? Probably not a good person to be the leader of a uh, church. Another way to put this, monogamous, right? I'll, I'll give you time to look it up on your note. It just means a one woman man, right? Doesn't have eyes looking around the room at other people. Okay, the next one is temperate uh, in, in some translations. Um, temperate means moderate, a person that shows self-restraint. He's not all over the map. Um, this guy's not given to extremes. You ever notice some people are given to extremes? This guy's reliable. He's trustworthy. There's no wide mood swings and weird 
He's solid. These are the guys they're supposed to look for. By the way, this process is one where they have to really get to know people, right? Well, he acts pretty good. Yeah. Um, next one. Let's see. Self-controlled in, in, in uh, NIV. Um, Self-controlled, sober-minded, some translations have. That doesn't mean not drunk. That's going to come up in a little while. Sober-minded means somebody that's self-controlled. He thinks clearly. He's prudent. He's sensible. It doesn't mean he's always serious. Thank God, or I would be out. You can, somebody that makes a joke, but he doesn't think everything's funny and think take everything too lightly. Um, let's see, sober-minded. The next one. Um, which should have disqualified me, is respectable. Somebody that is of good behavior, modest, dignified, respectable, listen, within the church. But even you go to the outside world and the unbelievers even go, well, he is a good guy, that guy kind of thing. Um, I want you to notice these are not skills. These are not degrees. In these are character things, aren't they? Let's keep rolling hospitable. Literally, that Greek word means loving the stranger. Somebody that is welcoming to people, even strangers, even into their own home. Way more important in those days than it is now. I'm not discounting it. It's important now. In those days, there's no holiday inn. There's very few inns of any kind. The inns that were there tended to be houses of ill repute, don't make me draw you a picture. And they tended to be places where people got ripped off, rolled, um, stolen from. So have an open home to friends and strangers. What kind of a church is it that's so clicky that new people come and nobody talks to them? It's terrible. That's why you notice me saying, and they, we say it at church here and we say it at the Bible study, make sure you say hello to someone you don't know. Because chances are you want to say hello to the people you know and hang out with them. Say hello to somebody you don't know. Very important in church, in Bible study, whatever. Okay. Um, hospitable. Where do we leave off? Able to teach. This is the only one that involves skill. A person could have all these qualities, but they don't really know the scriptures that well, or they're just not a good teacher. And don't anybody point at me, but you have to have at least a knowledge of the scriptures and be able to communicate them to others in order to be an elder. Not every single elder is in the pulpit teaching, but at our church, the two, two of the five elders are up there. Usually it's one or the other. Um, in three or four, three weeks, I think it is, or two and a half weeks, I'm preaching here. We'll see how that goes. I've done it a few times. Um, it's terrifying, but I get through it with God's help. Knowing the scriptures, qualify, qualification, that's a ministry skill or a gift, the ability to teach the scriptures. Verse three, not given to drunkenness, not given to wine. So beer would be okay, probably. No, it's any addictive substance. It's all alcohol. It's all drugs, whether pharmaceutical prescription drugs that somebody's hooked on or illegal drugs. It's anything that's addictive, including gambling. Yes. Including pornography. Absolutely. Right. 
I would argue if you're into pornography, gentlemen, you're not a one woman man because there's the woman on the screen and the woman you're married to, right? Or women, plural. Not given to wine or drunkenness, any uh, addiction. Some people have asked, does this verse prohibit an elder having a glass of wine with dinner? I don't think so. I'm going to tell you why some people think so, and it might surprise you, but I don't think so. Having two bottles of wine and getting a little loopy, that's not good, right? Um, but drinking in moderation, okay. However, um, you got to remember, I think it's Romans 14 that talks about the weaker brother or sister who has a real problem with alcohol and you go to the pastor's house and he serves wine and you think, is he a drunk? Better to not do it than to offend somebody or tempt somebody who has a problem with an addictive situation. Does it look like the appearance of evil if you see your pastor out at a restaurant having a glass of wine? Personally, I wouldn't have any problem with it unless he was obviously drunk or something kind of thing. Um, Here's the other side of this argument, though, just to be fair. The, the wine that they served in Jesus's time, if you drank it, you would say, that's not wine. It's so weak. It, the alcohol content in the wine in those days was way, 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 way less. You would have to drink and drink and drink to even start to feel like, well, I'm getting a little loopy. It's much more alcohol now. In those days, there was no clean, turn on the faucet, drinking water, no Alhambra. It was a very small company then. There's no Alhambra. There's no delivery of water. There's no water fountains. The water was notoriously polluted. You drink water, you get a little sick, but you drink water with a little bit of alcohol in it. It kills the germs. You're good to go. That's the other side of the argument. Anyway, you have to be fully convinced in your mind on that alcohol question. We do have an open bar at the back of the church if you're interested later. Just kidding. Um, so any enslaving su substance is out for this person. Part of being above reproach. Amen. Not violent, but gentle. King James, I love this. Not a striker. Um, also, um, a bully, not the kind of person that's always fighting. Certainly not anybody that, that beats his children or beats his wife. Good Lord. Um, this is a man that lets God fights his causes. This includes, I think, verbal abuse, which can be just as bad, right? Um, any somebody that's always settling disputes, venting anger. This is a man that doesn't have a chip on his shoulder. Mm, let's see, but gentle instead, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Quarrelsome in some translations is contentious. You ever meet these people? Always fighting over something. Always just want to argue. Politics, religion, this, that, sports. They'll argue over my car is faster than yours. A leader of a church shouldn't be somebody that's always picking a fight. And then the last uh, one, in, at least in this verse, um, not a lover of money. Does that mean they have to be 
poor. No, because there's poor people that love money and want more money and they're willing to steal to get it. And the money is not the issue. It's the lover of money. Why is that on the list? Because churches handle a lot of money. Might be tempting to slip a few dollars out the back door. No one's going to know. I worked hard this week. I'm a pastor here. Not a lover of money. If you get into being in the ministry because you love money, you're in it for the wrong motive, right? The wrong, wrong reason. Not, I can't say this is a hard and fast rule, but false teachers generally in our world, they're, man, they make big money. The TV evangelist guys, the Osteens and the Joyce Myers and the, um, I'm a fan of the NBA. National Basketball Association. The Houston Rockets, a professional basketball team, used to play in an indoor huge stadium in Houston. Joel Osteen bought it. That's his church. Wow. Anyway, I'm in the wrong business. Anyway, uh, just kidding. Um, so let's keep rolling. These are the characteristics, ideally, in someone that's going to lead a church. Um, being covetous, by the way, is called idolatry uh, in one of Paul's epistles. This is the kind of person, the money um, guy that's never content, never satisfied, always wants more. Verse four, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. Verse five, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church, which, by the way, is a family? Okay, this is talking about uh, a man and his wife. They have children living at home, and the, the kids are little brats. They're little hellions. They're breaking windows. They're stealing out of people's purses. They're just misbehaving, using bad language. They're, and the pastor's kind of oblivious. You got to look at how he's managing that household, which is small compared to a church, right? But he's got to manage his household, not with a whip. He must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. So much so that his kids behave because they respect him. I've told you guys this before. I haven't said it in a while. Um, my parents had what I, I think they had the best marriage I've ever seen. I've known a lot of people. I have a good marriage. I'm blessed um, to have someone that put up, puts up with me. My parents were unbelievable. My mother was very smart and educated. My dad wasn't. Quit school at eighth grade to support the family because his dad was sick and then died. Um, and they were so different. Her family was a little on the wealthy side. His family was really, 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 really poor. I mean, strange that these two are together. And yet, they, my brother and I have talked about this. We never, ever saw them argue once. I'm sure they did. They never did it in front of us. Never raised voices. The thing that we used to laugh about, my brother and I, was they were so into pleasing the other person, it got ridiculous. It's Saturday, kids. 
get your shoes on. Marion, my dad would say, Sam and Marion, what would you like to do today? I was thinking we'd go to the beach, Sam. My dad would say, okay, kids, we're going to the beach. And she would say, no, 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 no. What do you want to do, Sam? And he'd say, no, the beach is fine. Well, no, but what do you want to do? And he'd say, I thought we'd go to the park. Okay, kids, my mother would say, we're going to the park, get your shoes on. And he'd go, no, 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 no. They were arguing for each other. No, we're going to the beach. That's what you want to do. It's fine. No, no, you want to go to the, and my brother and I were going, either one is fine. Could you make up your mind? Somebody take charge. They just loved each other so much. It was, I'm getting tears in my eyes talking about it. So we'll move on. All right. Verse uh, six. He, male pronoun, must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil, which all started because of pride. Somebody said it back there. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28 are the two places in the Old Testament that tell you, how did the devil get to be the devil? I will be like the most high God. I will ascend to the heavens. I, 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 I. A new convert that suddenly gets elevated. He just received Jesus a few months ago, and now I'm an elder. It might go to his head, right? That's what that verse is saying. So God's very careful about who can lead a church. I, I said it earlier, I think. Um, I have it in my notes here under verse 7. It's always a plurality of elders, not a monarchy. I'm the king. All of you are the subjects. Um, let's see. We'll get to that in a second. Verse 7, he must also have a good reputation with outsiders, meaning unbelievers, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Do you know that the devil sets traps? Do you think he sets traps for the drug addicts and the sinister gang members and, you know, organized crime people and Maybe I think he sets traps for pastors for you when you try to live a godly life. That's the danger. Got to have a good reputation so he doesn't fall into disgrace because you, you, some of you are old enough to remember Jim and Tammy Baker. Um, oh, I just lost his name. Uh, shoot. I can see him with that hair. Uh, anyway, the guy that cried and cried and was so sorry. Jimmy Swaggart. Thank you. You get an A, Tom, for the day. Jimmy Swaggart. You know what? Watch society. When a Christian, prominent Christian, ends up in a scandal, the news just loves it. I'll tell you about one that broke my heart. I learned about it about a year and a half ago. You may not know this. I'm going to burst your bubble. Ravi Zacharias, how many know who he is? Just a brilliant man from India who was an amazing speaker and would go to Harvard and Yale and Oxford and Cambridge and do question and answer things and atheists would try to stump him. And the guy was so brilliant and he's passed away now and it's come to light that he was messing around with young girls at massage parlors. So his ministry, you, you kind of don't hear much about it. Are his books still amazingly good? Yes. 
But there's an example that they love to, they love it when a Christian man falls. If a pastor falls, is that a reflection on your Christ Jesus? No, it isn't. It's a reflection on the man, right? Fallen. It's a reminder for you and me, don't follow that teacher or this teacher or this teacher or your pastor or the guy on TV or the guy on the radio. They're liable to disappoint you. Keep your eyes on Christ. If you were around Christ at the time he was ministering and you started following Peter or John or James, you're going to get disappointed. Follow Christ. Last thing, I'm going to step on some toes here. I know. Two questions Do you go to church regularly? Well, I watch the Bible study, and, you know, with COVID, um, I, I don't live near to a church. I don't like some of the church. I didn't ask that. Hebrews 10, 25, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves, listen, together, which is the habit of some. You're supposed to be with other believers. It's part of the whole Christian thing. Question number one, do you go to church regularly? Question number two, does your church have elders? What do you mean? Is it a one-man show? Well, we have... Uh, a administrative board. We have deacons. We, that's not what I asked. Who has the authority in your church? Are there elders, plural, with an S? Three of them, nine of them, 16 of them, four of them. The number's never given in the Bible. The theory, by the way, about the number is a church of 40 people, you can have three, four elders. A church of 9,000 people, you better have a, a dozen, two dozen, three dozen. That's a lot of people to shepherd, right? And counsel and meet with and teach. And anyway, okay, shall we move on? No, let's stay in the this step. No, not really. Um, in the same way, deacons... Wait, deacons? What's a deacon? Diakonos in Greek. Now, there's going to be qualifications now for deacons. Deaconesses are a thing. Female deacons, not female elders. You don't see that in the Bible. Um, by the way, if your pastor, you're the head person at your church is a woman, she's not the husband of one wife. It's not biblical. I'm sorry. I have nothing against women. Some women are way smarter than some men. I get that. I'm just going by the manufacturer. Don't break your screwdriver by hitting nails with it. If God, the designer says, I think men should be the leaders of churches. Maybe we're built differently. Just as I've been trying to have a baby. I just can't seem to do it. I'm not built for that. Deacons you're going to see the same almost qualifications. What's a deacon? A deacon is a servant who does all the other stuff. What do you mean? The elders may be busy uh, making decisions for the church, preaching, overseeing the church, shepherding people. But in Acts, there were elders. And then the elders realized we've got in this church 19 widows who are shut-ins, we bring them meals and food and we fix her, their windows and we're running out of time as the elders. We need some servants, some men of, of very high quality in terms of their character who will do whatever. 
What do you mean, whatever? I mean, whatever. Deacons and deaconesses, they get stuff done. In some ways, they're at least as important, if not more, than the elders. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine. It's a lot of the same type stuff. Not pursuing dishonest gain. They might be handling money. They must, verse 9, keep hold of the truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Again, it's not whoever wants to can be a deacon here or an elder. There's certain criteria. Someone says, I'm interested in helping of the church. They check them out, interview them, find out what's the story on this guy. Um, what's their knowledge of the scriptures? They must keep hold of the truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Verse 10, they must first be tested, vetted, interviewed, even, dare I say it, investigated. Right? Well, there's rumors about that dude that he's having an affair and he spends a lot of time at the casino. Oh, let's talk to him about it. Not to shun him from the church, but the goal is always a restoration of a believer. So um, they must first be tested. And then if there's nothing against them, no major thing. Again, they're not perfect. That's not what we're saying here. There's nothing against them. No major thing. Let them serve as deacons. At this church, we have, John, do you know? It's eight or nine right? Deacons right now? It changes. Yeah. Um, we elders have to attend once every quarter at each of us, a deacon meeting. Um, by the way, at this church, I'll just tell you this, this is kind of a sidebar. I never knew this. The elders at this church, we go through the church directory of all the people that are members alphabetically. Okay. And now we're in the C's. So that's the uh, the uh, Cal uh, Caliban family and the Collins family and the Charleston family and the, and we divide them up. Okay. You call them and you call them. I called you guys, didn't I? And the elders each call two or three families. I called Nancy once I remember. And we say, how are you doing? What can we pray for you about? How do you feel the church is going? Do you have any suggestions? Are you serving at the church in any way? Or do you wish you were? And just, check in with the people, shepherding them. And it, we do this every single month. And then, this is what surprised me, we report back at the next elder meeting. Okay, let's go. Did you call Ken and whoever? Yes. What did they have to say? We tell them what they want prayer for this, and they think it's good, and they, they're not crazy about this at the church, but they're working on it. Okay, let's pray for them. And we each pray, all of us pray for each person of the members. It's a wonderful thing. Um, one of the things the elders do that I, I thought was cool. Um, and we're just about out of time. Let's try to get one or two more verses going here, shall we? Um, yeah, deaconesses. A, a woman can absolutely serve as a deaconess. Um, yeah, we talked about that too. Um, verse 10. Did we do that one? Yep. Tested first. Women are be in the same way the women, what women? What's the context? Deacons. Some have said, no, this is the wives of the deacons. Listen, if that's true, why is there nothing about, what about the wives of the elders? We didn't have anything on that. The women, meaning the women that are willing to serve, the deaconesses. And this church has 
seven or eight deaconesses must be faithful. I'm uh, sorry, wrong scripture. The women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, not gossip people. You know what I heard about so-and-so, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. There are jobs for women at every church. There are jobs for every man. Have you ever heard this saying? And believe me, the two churches I've been involved in, I've seen this to be true. 90% of the work is done by 10% of the people. Do you find that at your church, Ken? That there's certain ones that seem to do a lot and a vast majority that don't do much. They, we appreciate that they come here and they're learning and they're praying and you know worshiping and all that. 10% do 90% of the work. What's your point, Joe? Get involved. In 1960, I think it was, when John F. Kennedy was elected, he said, and I won't do the voice for you, but ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. May I say, don't ask what your church can do. What are they going to do for me? Ask what you can do to build up the body of Christ. A church where everybody was doing that, man, we, you could turn the world upside down where everybody was involved. Everybody's bringing new people in. Everybody's serving in some way. And it might be something as humble as I vacuum the floors. I clean the toilets. I wash the windows. I put out the coffee in the morning, whatever it may be. Anyway, we're out of time and let's pray, shall we? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this time we could study together. I pray if any woman was offended or man, um, that they would understand that I'm just reading the scriptures here, God, and you have made us like screwdrivers and paintbrushes and hammers with different functions, and you designed us for certain things. Thank you for that, God, that you're a God of order. Teach us to respect authority and submit to it where uh, it is appropriate. Help us to conduct ourselves in church the way you want us to. Let us dress accordingly, act accordingly, love accordingly. When we look at these characteristics, God, if we're honest, every single one of us would have to admit, I fall short. All of us do. So help us to live our lives that, with the goal of living these characteristics to bring you glory in the power of your spirit, Father. We pray that you would uh, help us to do this. We know that our conduct and our character matter, not for salvation's sake, but in order to display that we are, as Christians, different. The world has put their mold on us, and you have changed us, God, and made us what you want us to be. Keep on changing us and use us for your kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here. Make sure you say Hello to someone you don't know. And those of you on Zoom, thank you so much for being here. See you next Tuesday night, God willing. God bless.